sorry. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, again, church, it's good to be with you today. My name's Nathan, if I haven't met you yet. Merry Christmas. Uh, it's hard to believe it's finally like here, right? Especially with the weather, the way it's been, but it uh, actually feels a little bit Christmassy out there uh, this morning. Hope that you have uh, plans and are excited for that. Hopefully that, that God is, is near to you during this, this chaos and busyness and all that this season uh, involves. Uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll look at this story that we've probably heard so many times, right? We'll look at it again, hopefully with fresh eyes. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word, and we're grateful that you have come to rescue us, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, and that you've come to save us from our sins. And so, God, I, I pray that you would waken us afresh to these things this morning. May we hear from you through the power of your spirit and these words written so long ago. In the midst of all of the, the chaos, distraction, and for some of us, perhaps the, the loneliness or the disappointment, God, I pray that you would be who you promised to be, that you would be with us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Home Alone is one of those movies you either, either love it or hate it, right? Uh, our, our family loves it. We, we love this one. In fact, one of my favorite things about having uh, kids that are now older is that we get to go back and watch all of the movies that Kelly and I loved when we were growing up, right? And so it's, it's, it's super fun to be able to do that. And so we watched Home Alone with them a couple years ago. And when we first watched it, I mean, they just belly laughed the entire way through. I mean, it was, we laughed more at them laughing at the movie uh, than we'd ever, ever laughed at the movie. And then, of course, afterwards, uh, for like months, they made their own, they still do this, honestly, they made their own like series of booby traps for our house, you know, just in case, right? Uh, and thankfully, injuries have been minor. Uh, but it's, it's, such a, it's such a great story, isn't it? I mean, is it? Like, think about that for just anyone here have an eight-year-old or have had an eight-year-old or ever been an eight-year-old, right? Anybody? Okay. Ever leave that eight-year-old home alone for three days? No? Nobody? And, and then have to, like, that, that, that child have to face these, like, hideous criminals and, and commit acts of violence against them. Anybody? Like, this story's ridiculous, isn't it? It's terrifying, like, the only reason we laugh at this is because we know that it's fiction. It's not fun at all. Like, how much therapy would Kevin McAllister need, right? In real life, he would be scarred forever. His parents would be in jail for reckless endangerment. And the wet bandits would be dead from those booby traps, right? And I'm sorry if I just sort of ruined 
a Christmas tradition for you, Home Alone, right? But in real life, think about that. Is anything more damaging, more terrifying than the thought of being abandoned by the people you love? Anything. In fact, I can remember, like, one of my, one of my strongest, earliest memories as a child was in Walmart with my mom. It probably lasted 30 seconds, and it was probably about 37 years ago, but I looked up in the aisle, and I could see her nowhere. And even as I thought about that this week, I could feel the panic again in my chest. We're terrified of being alone. Or even last week, right, Pastor Gabe talked about how uh, during the Christmas season, at least for some of us, it kind of stirs up some of these feelings of loneliness. And for some of you, it's, it's that sense of loss. There's, there's someone who's not going to be at Christmas this year that you wish was. And if you're in that place of grief and loss, I'm so sorry. For, uh, for others of you, maybe that's not the situation, but it's, it's a reminder of the things that you wish were true about your life, right? You, a, a spouse, a child. A better, a better job or a healed relationship, right? And you feel that loss uniquely around Christmas. But even if, even if you have all of those things and you've lost no one, right? Even then, our expectations on this season are just so ridiculously high that for many of us, we overspend, overeat, overdrink, oversmother the people we love, all in sort of an effort to quiet the sense of loneliness, to quiet the fear of being home alone. In fact, psychiatrist Kurt Thompson, when he was with us uh, a couple months ago, he made a compelling case, actually, as a, as a sort of a neurobiologist, psychiatrist, that like every one of our fears actually at its very root is a fear of being alone. Like they all go back to that. So like, you know, your fear of failure, right? It's a fear that you're going to actually be rejected for your failure. You're not, you're not afraid of failure. You're afraid of being rejected for it. Uh, your fear of, of not having enough money is, is that you're not going to have people in your life who can come alongside you and help you in that space. Your, your fear, my fear of illness is, is really about being separated from the people that we love, right? That's going to ruin relationships. That every fear we have is a fear of being alone. And you know, there's, there's another Christmas story, like Home Alone, that we think of as all nice and rosy. It's just adorable. You know, if it's fiction, it's fine. Who cares, right? But if it really happened, I mean, could, could there have been a more lonely day in Joseph's life than the day that Mary told him? I mean, think, of, think of the agony of that moment, right? If you haven't already, turn to, to Matthew chapter 1. So you know, picture this scene. Again, we're so, many of us, right, we're so used to it, we've kind of forgotten the uniqueness of this story. But, like, this is, this is a girl he loved. Like, they'd planned their futures together. And, like, in that culture, like, they were uniting their entire families together. Their enti- like, everything sort of hinged on this for, for themselves, for their families, all of their relationships. Like, everything was about this, this coming moment, this wedding and in verse 18, again, we read, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. So betrothed is like, it's like an engagement, but more so, right? It's less than being married. They're not married yet, but it's like, it's like, they've, like a contract between families. Betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And don't you, don't you wonder, like, how long did Mary wait to tell Joseph? Because we know that, you know, an angel visited her. It's like, how long did she wait? Did she wait until she, was she showing yet? Did she practice her speech? 
you know, to, like trying it out different ways. Was she, was she anxious? I mean, I assume she was anxious, right, about this moment. I mean, I kind of imagine it like this. You know, Mary, Mary goes up to him, Joseph, now hear me out. It's not what you think, but I'm pregnant. Mary, how could that be anything other than what I think, right? Like, like what, have you, what have you done? Like, I, I, thought, I thought you loved me, all of our, our hopes and our dreams. But Joseph, an angel visited me. Oh, really, an angel, right? Was he that good looking? Was he? You got to rub it in and call him an angel, right? No, 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 it wasn't like that at all. It was the Holy Spirit. Mary, what kind of fool do you think I am? Right, yeah, 2,000 years have passed, but you know what? They knew where babies came from 2,000 years ago, okay? And they didn't come from Holy Spirits, right? And in an honor-shame culture like theirs, like this, this is absolutely unthinkable. This is the highest rejection. This is shame upon shame, and not just on them, right, but on their, their entire families, their entire communities. And here, here's, like, here's one thing that I want to know. There's a lot that I'd love to know about this story, like, so many like details, right? You wish you, wish you had more information. But one thing in particular I wish I, I wish I knew is like the angel visited Mary ahead of time. It's like, hey, Mary, just, just like a heads up, you're going to be pregnant. They want you to be surprised. You know, don't freak out. It's, it's going to be okay, right? But the angel waits to visit Joseph. Why does he wait? Why does God make him sit in this moment? of unthinkable loneliness, right? Why didn't, why didn't God tell Joseph sooner? I don't, I don't know, but I do know that sometimes when God enters your life, he wrecks it first. Verse 19. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, he could have done it publicly, it would have been within his rights. He could have shamed and humiliated Mary, condemned her, right, publicly in order to, like, save face, like, to sort of protect his, his own reputation. But instead, he decides to divorce her quietly. And he had to. Like, he had to, he had to break it off. If he didn't, all the shame would have fallen on him and his family. Because think about it. Like, if he marries this pregnant girl, he'd be publicly admitting to one of two things, right? He'd either be admitting that he was the father of this illegitimate child, a scoundrel, again, culturally, right? Or he's saying he doesn't mind that Mary's promiscuous, right? It's fine. It's no big deal, right? And again, like, you have to put yourself in that culture. Like, this is, this is scandalous. If he marries her, he is signing up for a lifetime of shame. It's not just going to pass in nine months, Right? His family's not going to understand. His coworkers, his neighbors, he could get fired over this. I mean, he's going to be the object of scorn for the rest of his life, raising someone else's child. It's very understandable. Like, nah, I'm good. I'll divorce her quietly, and then I'll start my life over. And so he crawls into bed that night, knowing what he has to do. All right, well, first thing I've got to tell Mary i got to tell my parents. i got to tell her parents. I should probably tell my boss, my friends, co-work, like, just going through the list. I just imagine him, like, dozing off with this crushing weight of loneliness. What would it, 
what would it take to get him to change his mind? I mean, you even just put yourself in, in his shoes, right? What, what would it take to get you to embrace a lifetime of shame, rejection, and loneliness? Well, you'd have to believe that it was somehow going to be worth it, right? Wouldn't you? Like, you'd have to believe that even if everyone else left you, because they're all about to if they find out this news, that even if everyone else left you, you'd still be okay. You'd have to believe in Emmanuel, God with us. Because an angel does finally come to Joseph, right? Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. This is what it takes to get him to change his mind. Because God, God knows what he's doing in this moment, right? God, God knew that he was wrecking Joseph's life. But Joseph, I'm going to wreck it in order to save it. And God, God knew that Joseph had never felt more alone and that this loneliness, some of it's going to follow him for the rest of his life. But Joseph, with me, you will never be alone. You see, God makes promises here to, to Joseph that hits him in his place of deepest woundedness. And Joseph believes God and obeys. And friends, this, this God, our God, makes these same promises to you and me in our own places of deepest heartache. And if you take just, just one thing with you, I hope it's this. I hope you carry it with you in the chaos of this week and possibly the loneliness or, and well, well into the new year. It's very simple. One thing, Christmas means you will never be alone. No matter what. Even if your entire world comes crashing in upon you, you will never be alone. And at the, heart, at the heart of this promise, you see, we're given another name for God. We've been going through these different names uh, during the Advent season together as a church, names of God in the Bible. And here we see one of the most beautiful, truly, right? It's a name that answers our greatest fears of being alone. For our God is Emmanuel, which means just literally, right? It means God with us. And as we peer together more closely into the Christmas story, we're going to see that God is with us in three ways in this story. We're going to see this. God is with us in our fear. He's with us in our frailty. And he's with us in our failures. First, God is with us in our fears. You see, Jesus, Jesus is God, right? This is, this is what the scriptures teach, that like, this is even the name Emmanuel. Like, he is God with us, God with skin on, God in the flesh. And, and the story of our God in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, all the way through, is of a God who dwells with his people, who, who just, who cannot not be with his people. Like, you see that in, in the garden, that we were made to be in this place, to be with him. You see it all throughout the Old Testament, like, echoes of it with, like, the promised land, the tabernacle, uh, the temple, uh, all the way to the end of the story, right? It builds to Revelation when God comes back, right? He makes earth new. He makes us new. And he lives again with his people, and he does it forever. And when Jesus, God with us, comes to earth for Christmas, right? 
It's as if he's saying loud and clear for all to hear, this is my home. This is where I belong with my people. And even now, God's presence remains with us through his spirit. This is, this is the story of our God. We don't have a story of, of a God who's distant and aloof, like whose attention we have to try to get, right? No, we have the story of one who is earthy and present. Now, this doesn't, this doesn't remove our fears, right? I mean, let's be honest, our world is scary, right? There's a lot to be afraid of. It doesn't, it doesn't remove them, but it does mean he's with us in them, in those places of greatest fear, which is, which is why the angel, the angel can say, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. And it's almost like in the gaps there, he's like, oh, sure, people are going to shame you. Yeah, you might get fired. Your family's not going to understand. All kinds of people are, for the rest of your life, right, are, are going are to reject you for this decision. But you know what, Joseph? Through your stepson, I will be with you and I will be with you forever. And I think, I think we know experientially, don't we, that every fear we can think of, every fear is made worse by loneliness, right? And at the same time, when we know that we're not alone, every fear is cut in half. Maybe just a silly example of this. Last year, our family was, was on a hike, uh, which is often a true statement, I could say. Uh, but this particular hike, it was, it was a beautiful, like, early morning. The sun had just come up. We're in this mountain meadow. I mean, it's just absolutely gorgeous. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, we're hiking along. We're just at the beginning of, like, an eight-mile hike. Uh, only, like, maybe a half a mile in. And all of a sudden, we, like, see this, this rustling in a bush up ahead some serious rustling. And we're, we're in bear country, just to be clear. Uh, and there's evidence of bears all around. Like, you can tell that they've been there recently. Uh, but, I, you know, I saw this, and I'm like, trying. I just, it's probably a squirrel, is what I said, lying to myself and to my family. I mean, this bush was really moving. It would have been a giant squirrel. Uh, but this is like the only way the path went. Like, there's, there's no other, there was no other option. Everything was kind of built up around, and we couldn't see in it at all. And so I, like, crept up closer and closer and closer, trying to get a good look into this bush to know what was there, when all of a sudden, this guy looked at me. This, right there. I, that, that is the actual bear. I didn't take it in that moment. I was too afraid. We waited until we got a safer distance, and then I took that picture. Uh, but in that, like, literally, probably 50, like, me, me to you guys. Uh, that's how close the bear was. Um, and, like, in that moment, like, so much adrenaline, right, as you can imagine. And then I'm like, my family is just a little bit further back. And so, like, I go back with them. We're, we're like, huddled together on this rock, trying to make ourselves as big as possible. And we're just talking to this bear. Like, bear, we really need to go that way. Finish your breakfast. Like, we're just trying to, like, get it to get used to us and just move, move on. And it was, like, terrifying. You can ask my kids about it. It was absolutely terrifying. And yet there was something about, like, being there huddled together on that rock that made it less scary, right? Can you imagine that experience alone? And it's not, it's not that that protected us. Like, the bear could have still eaten us, right? But we were not alone in our fear. It doesn't stop the bad thing from happening, but it makes it feel so much less terrible, doesn't it? How much more when we know that our God is with us? So ask yourself, just take a moment, like where am I most afraid right now? All of us carry it, right? We can't hide from it. It's there. You can bury it. We push it deep down. Where are you most afraid right now? And have you invited God with us to be with you in that fear? I'm afraid 
for the future. God says, I'm with you. I'm afraid for my kids. God says, I am with you. I'm afraid of rejection. God says, I am with you. Christmas means you will never, never be alone. So he's with us in our fear. That's, that's the first thing. Then second, he's with us in our, our frailty. Because yes, yes, Emmanuel is God, right? And that, that, should, that should calm our fears immensely, knowing God is with us. But Emmanuel is also human. Like Jesus is actually one of us. And when, when you look back at, at Matthew, you just can't miss the earthiness of this story, the humanity, the frailty of it. In fact, C.S. Lewis has this great metaphor. I love, I love the, the writer C.S. Lewis. He's one of my favorites. He has this great metaphor. I'm going to tweak it just a little bit for us. But it basically says that without the Christmas story, right, without, without Jesus, like you couldn't, you couldn't search for God and find him. Like there's just no way for it to happen. He gives, gives kind of an illustration of, of, of that. Like it would be like Luke Skywalker looking for George Lucas somewhere in a galaxy far, far away, right? Or an indoor or whatever. No, that's not, that's not the actual example uh, that Lewis gives. I think it was Shakespeare, but who cares about that, right? Uh, like Luke Skywalker can't find George Lucas. George Lucas is the writer, right? He's the author of Star Wars. He doesn't live in that world. It'd be impossible for Luke to find him in that way. Unless... George Lucas were to write himself into the story, right? Only if he were to put himself in, right? Maybe Baby Yoda. Maybe that's actually George Lucas. <laughs> Sorry, that's terrible. So sacrilegious, isn't it? It's awful. But like, this is the kind of picture the biblical writers give us, right? That the God of the universe, the author of it all, actually writes himself in, into the story, into our story, in order to be with us so that he can be found, so that he can be known. Professor Dr. Betsy Barber, she writes, when God became man in order to rescue us, he put aside the glory of deity. He joined his gritty, dirty creations and became a powerless fetus within a teenage woman's uterus, dependent upon her breath and blood and placenta for his sustenance and growth. How shocking. How wonderful. God became abased. Humanity became exalted. Think of the frailty of our God. How he emptied himself for us. And we, we know how frail we are, don't we? I mean, sometimes we deny it, right? We try to pretend that we're not, that we're stronger than we actually are. But we know our frailty. We know what it's like to be, to be shamed, right? To be betrayed or abandoned, to be abused or accused or misunderstood, to, to lose a loved one, to, to have your heart broken, this means that so does God. Like God knows. Our God knows. Not just up here intellectually, right? Because God knows everything. But no, he, he knows it in his body. He experienced it in his flesh, these things. No other God can say that. And this allows him to sit with us in our frailty, whatever it is we're experiencing, in ways that no one else can. And truth be told, I'm not sure there's anything that comforts me more than knowing that my God actually knows. He knows the brutality. He knows the difficulty. He knows the heartache of whatever it is we experience. And he feels it in his body with us. And so where do you feel your frailty most? Your weakness. Have you invited God with us to be with you in that place, to sit with you there? Because Christmas means you will never be alone. Fear, frailty, and failure. He's with us even in our failure. 
places we don't even want to talk about, we don't really acknowledge to ourselves more or less to anyone else. He is with us even there. The Holy One joins us in our sinfulness. But instead of, instead of becoming a sinner like us, he becomes our righteousness, our salvation. And for Joseph, that was worth it. Verse, verse 21, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That even, even when we reject him, he will still run after us. Even when you try to push him out, right, to, to ignore him or, 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 you know, reject, like, push him away, like, he won't ever walk out of the room on you. Even though we're the ones who've tried to walk out on him, right? You see, we don't, we don't feel alone because God left us. We feel alone because we left him. I mean, even, even in the example of, of home alone, like, we're, we're not the innocent little boy who's left there by himself. No, we're the distracted, self-absorbed parents who've left, that's who we are in this story. And yet even so, we have a God who runs after us. So friends, it's, it's, time, it's time to stop running. Instead of running from God, adding failure upon failure, have you invited him into those failures? Handed all of them over to him. Like, God, this is, this is me. This is who I am. It's a mess. Would you forgive me and would you make me whole? We can invite him into those places so that we don't have to be alone anymore, even, even in our most shameful places. Emmanuel means he's with us. And really, if you think about it, he's with us in a way that no one else ever can be, It truly ever can be. We need one another, certainly, right? But there's a, there's a unique way that God can be with us that no one else can, which means for, for Joseph, like he can willingly enter this place of deep loneliness and rejection, because he knows there's, there's, a, there's a satisfaction, there's a relationship that none other can compare. I mean, just loneliness is it's kind of a strange thing, isn't it? I don't know if this is unique to me. I don't, I don't think that it is. But, like, I can tell you, like, I'm, I'm married to the most wonderful woman in the world. I've got two incredible kids that I genuinely enjoy spending time with. We have friends that, for some of us, truly, we just, we, people dream about. They're such great friends. We have, we have colleagues that we love. We have extended family. We've got, we've got a church family, right? We, we have neighbors. Like, we, we are not alone. Like, we are so blessed with the people around us. And yet, you know what? Sometimes I still feel lonely. Anybody, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, it's not for lack of, of people around. And the reality is, I think this is, this is true for many of us, because there is a loneliness that cannot be silenced by anyone but God. That only he can fill the gap in our, in our lives, in our hearts. Like, no matter what we try to fill it with, no matter what we try to consume ourselves with over the holiday season, there's something that only he can fill. And the good news of Jesus is that he has come, and the loneliness we feel, feel will not last forever. And I want to I end, end with this. Because as soon as, as soon as church is over, I'm headed over to the Olathe campus uh, for the memorial service of a dear friend, Charlene. Uh, but when I first met Charlene at the Olathe campus several years ago, she was not my friend. Uh, in fact, it was really clear that she did not want to be at church, and she did not want to be talking to a pastor. It's very clear. We can, we can read these things. I don't know if you know that. You can pick up on it. Uh, she wanted nothing to do with us. But over, over several years... Like, she experienced the love of a church family and eventually began to, I 
realized like what she was experiencing was the love of a God who wanted to be with her, who knew her fears, frailties, and failures. And at that time, she met Jesus. And then after, after a while, like, she, couldn't, she couldn't wait to go to church. She was like front row. Like, she just loved it every minute. Even uh, started referring to, to me and a couple of the other pastors as her boys, which is just kind of hilarious. Like, even, even when she was confined to bed uh, in a nursing home, you know, uh, Jim and Susie would come and, and visit them, uh, visit her, and she'd be like, how my boys? How my boys doing, right? One other, one other story I love about Charlene is back when we were first uh, raising money for this building, and for our downtown campus, like she, she heard about it. I'm not, I'm not making this up. Like this woman who wanted nothing to do with the church. She started bringing us her bingo winnings from the nursing home because she wanted to do her part. Because she wanted others to experience the same sort of life and community of a God who loved her. And so she began, began to give. In fact, the, the family from church who'd, who's been a family to Charlene, sorry to point you out, guys. Sorry, but... You're right there, and I can't help it, right? Uh, people who, who truly loved her to Jesus. Uh, they told me that they have a sack of quarters uh, that they're bringing to the memorial service from Charlene to go towards paying for these spaces. I mean, that's just beautiful, isn't it? And I, I, loved, I loved visiting Charlene. And I made, I made one last visit with her just a couple of days before she got to meet Jesus face to face. And she slept through the whole visit. Uh, I, think, I think she could hear what I was saying. I don't, I don't know how all that works, right? But I just, I talked with her. I prayed with her. I read scripture to her. I cried with her. I told her I loved her. I said goodbye. Actually, I think what I said was, I'll, I'll see you later, Charlene. And like, church, like this, this is what our God does. Because Charlene lived a long, hard, and lonely life. It was brutal in so many ways. And yet through the love of a church family, she met Emmanuel, God with us, God with her. And so she didn't die alone. She died with people, a church family who loved her, a God who was with her. And that's the good news of Christmas. That's the good news of Jesus. That's, that's what made it worth it to Joseph, to experience what he had to experience. That no matter what, you will never be alone. It's good news, isn't it? Let's pray. Emmanuel, God with us, we come before you with overwhelming gratitude for what you've done. That, that that is who you are, that you are God with us, that you were willing to leave your throne. And all, all that you had at your fingertips in heaven, that you were willing to enter into our frail and fragile human existence in order to be with us and to rescue us. And so, Lord Jesus, no matter what we have on our schedule the rest of this day, this, this busy and full week, and all that we anticipate into this new year, God, and I, I know for many of us we have a lot of anxiety as we think about this next year. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would remember that you are with us in our fears and you will not leave us. That you are with us in our, in our frailty. That you understand the weakness that we experience, the heartache and the pain. And that you're even with us in our place of greatest failure, offering us forgiveness and wholeness.
And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that amidst everything else going on this week, may we delight in you. And may we experience you delighting in us. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.